All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Southeasters Podcast. It is Friday, April 12th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, I catch up with former Vanderbilt guard Drew Maddox, who is currently the, the coach at CPA here in Nashville, and uh, someone that I've really wanted to have on the podcast for a while now because not only does he know Vanderbilt, uh, he knows SEC basketball, just having been around this conference for so many years now. And so we we touched on lots of different topics, sort of looking at the growth of the league overall. Um, certainly the Vanderbilt hiring Jerry Stackhouse, what kind of stands out to him uh, in terms of, of what that staff's going to need to be successful and how things kind of could unfold uh, from here in terms of just watching this Vanderbilt program moving forward, uh, looking at it as still a job where you know the Commodores can, can be very successful year in and year out. And so we talked about that, just sort of all the aspects that go into uh, that program and trying to sustain that success and looking at the tradition as well uh, of the Vanderbilt basketball program and how uh, it can kind of get back on track from here. And we also went into uh, Drew's career with the Commodores and kind of touched on his favorite moments, uh, certainly some of his favorite games he had there, and maybe the players that were the toughest to play against. Because like we said, he did play in an era where we talk about how good SEC basketball is now, but there were a lot of talented teams. There were a lot of talented players in the league then, um, and he had he had a fun time kind of rolling through uh, some of the ones that were really hard to play against. Um, and certainly some of his favorite games uh, that he had there as well. So let's jump into the conversation with former Vanderbilt guard and current CPA head coach Drew Maddox. All right, guys, welcome back in to the Southeast Hoops podcast. As mentioned, my guest today is Drew Maddox. Of course, uh, all the Vanderbilt listeners know him as a former player for the Commodores, uh, now coaches in high school at CPA here locally in Nashville. Drew, uh, I'm going to start off with something that's probably going to make us both feel a little bit old. And um, (laughs) you don't remember this, but I think uh, it's something where I remember this kind of vividly because as a high school player, um, it was one of those things where you remember we go around to camps and we go to all different things. And I remember the Will Purdue basketball camp back in the uh, yes. the mid to late 90s at Good Pasture High School. You're out Mamata there. Um, I was in one of the older groups, and I think you and I'm pretty sure it was Sam Howard, one of my coaches. Now, I never got to the SEC level like you guys, uh, but I have to give you credit uh, for helping me sort of better my jump shot, I guess. well Blake first of all just thank you for having me on your show today I am a huge fan of your coverage of Southeastern Conference basketball and all things that relate to college basketball in this area so thank you for what you're doing as a guy that grew up you know as a as a as a huge fan of Southeastern Conference basketball and then as a guy that played inside the conference and now follows it very closely thank you for all you're doing uh you know a lot of people think of SEC as just a football conference but there's actually outstanding basketball uh, tradition and history and continuing to go forward with great play. So thank you for what you're doing, first of all. 
a second to that, uh, my, my follow-up to that would be, you remember the Michael Jordan signed shoes, I yep. guess. <laughs> did, 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 did you ever have a chance to win a pair of those? Well, because really, uh, you know, in those years, that's what that camp was known for, was who's going to wear or who's going to win those Michael Jordan signed shoes. I will tell you this. I did win one event back-to-back years, and that was the free-throw shooting contest. So at least I, I don't okay. know what I got out of that, but I think it may have been a, <laughs> a signed shirt or something from Will, but – uh, it was certainly quite a highlight for me, uh, that's for sure. But, no, that was a lot of fun. And, and kind of tying that into before we get into the SEC stuff, I know here recently, um, you know, we talked about your coaching now at CPA. One of your former players, Braxton Key, who everyone knows was at yeah. Alabama, uh, transferred to Virginia, now had a chance to kind of showcase himself on certainly the biggest stage in college basketball with Virginia winning a national title. I know that kind of had to be a special moment for you, not only just uh, as someone who connected with him early on, but just to see him uh, have that kind of success. Yeah, just so proud of Braxton. And and we stay in touch. I mean, we talk pretty regularly. And and even leading up to the game and then after the game, um, it's just been so much fun to hear the emotion around, you know, that experience. You know, I think – you know, when I think about Braxton's story, um, obviously he was here for many years and then his family moved and then he ended up at Oak Hill for his senior year and then he, Alabama. And to see him land in a program like uh, University of Virginia and what Tony Bennett tries to do and the culture that he's bit there, I, I, I just really believe it's just such heart alignment to the way Braxton is made. And I think he's just going to continue to flourish and thrive there. And we saw a little bit of a glimpse of that this year. But I think as he steps into his senior year next year there, I think he'll even step into, you know, a more integral role into what they're trying to do. But, I mean, what a, what a program, what a story for them to come back from being the only team ever to lose to a 16th seed to national champions in the very next year with the magical uh, wins that they had coming down the stretch. It was just an amazing story, and I'm so glad he was able to be a part of it, especially under the leadership of such a great man like Tony Bennett. And Drew, kind of to transition that into to the SEC and Vanderbilt, because those are two of the things obviously we're going to talk about a lot. And kind of starting off just w- with your thoughts on the, the state of the SEC now, and we'll get into sort of Vanderbilt hiring Jerry Stackhouse and all the different ins and outs of that program right now. But I mean, certainly, you know, you, you've you've followed this conference for a long time. You played in it, and we've kind of seen just the growth year after year after year now, and, and we're seeing it sort of in a situation where everyone's having kind of unprecedented success when you look at how many teams are getting into the tournament. Um, I, I know the coaching aspect has had a lot to do with it, but what are maybe just the biggest things you've noticed just in terms of how far this conference has been able to come, just from, from an on-court standpoint? Yeah, I, I think obviously it started with leadership, and, and it starts with the leadership of the presidents and the university leaders, you know, the athletic directors, uh, just making the Southeastern Conference basketball important. I think it was a collective effort. I really do believe that, that they came together and said, you know what, we can have great products that extend far outside of the football field, and we're going to take this serious. And so what we've seen with that, Blake, is a couple of things. One, an investment in head coaches. And so you've seen a recruitment and retention of major, major industry-leading guys come to the conference. Two, you've seen resource allocation in, in terms of building new arenas or fresh arenas or freshening up arenas or remodels, or maybe it's a practice gymnasium or, or making an investment in the staff or, or, or new position creation or whatever it may be. And, and I think that was a key part to this. But I think the third part that is added to the recruitment of student athletes wanting to be in this conference 
And where the Southeastern Conference got really smart, Blake, was when they went and, and came together with a scheduling initiative um, and, and said, this is going to be the expectation as a conference of who you play outside of the conference. These are the types of teams you're going to schedule, and these are the venues you're going to play at. And you cannot be fearful of going on the road to particularly play like a mid-major or go to some of the events. And with that, the overall strength and brand of Southeastern Conference basketball began to rise. And so I think that has become an attractive thing for recruits as they're looking at playing inside of the conference at, at, at places not just named Kentucky. And so it's been fun to watch all of that momentum. And then now we're seeing the byproduct and the fruit of all that labor with the success that the conference is having. Yeah, and that's certainly something that you look at it and feel like, you know, now there's an opportunity for Vanderbilt where they make this hire of Jerry Stackhouse and you talk about all the different things that that are appealing um, for, for every sort of team around the conference now, the things that they can use to, to draw in recruits. And now you have Vanderbilt with a someone who – has an NBA background, both as a very successful player. He was very successful as a G League coach, was the assistant for the Grizzlies here recently. Um, I know lots of people have had different opinions on this, and certainly we've seen in college basketball throughout the years, uh, there are some guys that come from the NBA to the college level that don't have success in terms of winning, uh, but there are others that have had a chance to kind of maybe do that. What do you think sort of of Vanderbilt's kind of approach maybe here? Because I think everyone going in knew it was going to be a different sort of dynamic because you had a new athletic director in place in Malcolm Turner, someone who had that NBA background. I think it's definitely one of those hires that you classify as outside the box, but I also think it's one, if you talk about maybe in terms of the reward, just because he does kind of bring that that background that he has and you feel like they're going to be able to recruit well – what are just your overall thoughts on the on the hire here initially? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you brought up so many key points in in the line of questioning. I, I thought it was a bold move. Um, I, I do believe, you know, it is an outside of the box hire. I do believe uh, what Malcolm Turner was trying to do was go in the total opposite direction of what the previous leadership of the basketball program was. Um, I believe he tapped into familiarity for himself. Um, it was it was a comfortable space for him, uh, a, a young coach that existed in a space that I felt like, you know, he saw tremendous upside in. Um, and, and as it was going to happen, you know, it was going to happen within the G League or NBA circles, but he certainly saw something in Jerry Stackhouse that he was buying, and, and he brought that to Vanderbilt. Now, um, I do believe this. I, I believe when you look at this situation – um, I believe staffing is going to be key, and I, I know yeah. people have said that, but as a guy that is a byproduct of being in those locker rooms, in those meeting rooms, I'm telling you who he surrounds himself with is going to be the most critical element that happens over the next couple of weeks to see where this program is going to set in motion. And so that's going to be key. I look for him to bring in some Carolina tie guys. I look for him. I mean, I know names are surfacing, but I also believe this, Blake, and and I know there's a big NBA tie here with Jerry Stackhouse experience, but when you come back to a level, for example, I came back to CPA. Yeah, I played at the collegiate level and had all of those experiences. But when you come back to the level that you're coaching at, you're going to tap into prior knowledge of the level that you experienced. So what that means is when I came to CPA, yeah, I had Vanderbilt experience and all these wonderful mentors. But when I came here to start the program and build foundation elements to it, 
I went back and tapped into my good pasture playing experience with my coach, Steve Reese. So a lot of what we did early in those days was tapped into that previous knowledge. So he's going to tap in, I believe, yeah, he has all these NBA things, but I look for a lot of Carolina elements to shine big and bright in and through everything that he's doing. Well, and player development, too. That's the one thing that, that I kind of we've talked about a lot. And certainly I feel like, and, you know, you may agree or disagree with this, but it almost feels like the player development aspect of everything uh, sometimes sort of gets overlooked because we're so kind of keyed into the star rankings. And, you know, we live in the era where it's all about four stars and five stars and all this. But to me, what what has been able to separate some of these programs isn't just the ones that get the five-star talents every single year. It's the ones that maybe get the three- and four-star talents and are able to develop them over a year or two to where, like we say, it's not kind of what you come in in terms of your star ranking. It's what you go out. You know, are you a four-star or five-star when you leave the program? Um, I feel like maybe that that aspect is something where he could thrive just based on uh, having that, that G League experience. Like you said, kind of going back to his college and high school type of days, that player development aspect to me is going to be really crucial here too. Yeah, and, and I think on the, the other side of the coin of player development, uh, you know, take, for instance, um, you know, the Final Four. Obviously, you see those teams, and those were upperclassmen-laden teams. Those yeah. rosters were built with guys that had been in those programs for a long time. Or, you know, in the case of, like, Matt Mooney at Texas Tech, that was a fifth-year transfer. So those were experienced guys uh, that had been in those programs. So, yes, I think it's player development, but I also think it's player experience because here's the, here's the deal. Um, and I'm not telling anybody anything new. College basketball has a huge problem as it relates to transfers. So when a young man comes into your program and does not get what they want, i.e. production or minutes or opportunity, you better make sure you're speaking into the intangible relationship build to that young man where they can see the big picture and really take the long view in mind. And so you do have time, back to your question, Blake, to speak into and to build into the player development aspects, and they stay within your program for a long time and can see the trajectory. When I played in the 90s, you know, it was rare that guys transferred. Now it's the new normal that you have. And so what are you giving them? What experience are you providing to them where they do buy into taking the long view in mind, where they have time to develop as players, and you can establish the proper player development platform in place for those kids to thrive within your program. I think that's really, really key here and a key point that people lose because of the transfer issue that is out there in college basketball. Yeah, absolutely, and there's no doubt that's such a huge part of the the equation now. And just kind of maybe backtracking even a little bit here, the Vanderbilt job itself, you know, there's always been – Lots of different opinions on this nationally. And I think people locally here, like you especially, who played there and it's been connected there for so many years now, and then even just the, the local media kind of understands more of the ins and outs of things. Um, historically, you know, Vanderbilt's had success in basketball. And I know people kind of look at these last several years where there's been these ups and downs. And certainly last year, um, you know, one of those years that you never just kind of see coming. Like I said, you know better than anyone, this Vanderbilt job, even in what has become a really, really tough SEC, one of the best co- conferences in the country in terms of just overall competitiveness, 
this can still be, you know, one of a program that can be in that top tier. Maybe not, you know, number one or number two every single year, but just in that maybe top half, top tier type in the SEC, can it? Just because, like we said, it's a program that kind of has that success, and as long as you have sort of the right leadership in place and you're putting the resources into it, uh, there can be a lot of success here. No, no doubt, and, and I am 100% confident that Vanderbilt basketball should be in the top third of the league every single year and should be an NCAA tournament team every single year. Um, I just think the value proposition to a student athlete that is looking at the opportunities to play college basketball, I think what Vanderbilt has to offer is very unique. And I don't think anybody else inside the conference has what Vanderbilt has to offer. So if packaged, if sold, if marketed correctly – in a new Nashville, in a new environment that is going on in the Cumberland region, coupled with all of these opportunities of playing this wonderful conference at this institution, if you recruit the right person, the right player, the right holistic look at a student athlete, I truly believe that Vanderbilt University should be in the top third of the league. Not even a question. And so is this you know, going to be the staff to do it? I, I don't know. I don't know that we have enough information yet to proclaim that over this staff and over this situation. So, um, but I do believe that Vanderbilt fans and, and, and the Nashville fan base should absolutely have high expectations that this is a program that should be competing to be in the top third of the league. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. There's no doubt. And like you said, it's it's kind of early on in the process, still knowing who's going to be on the staff and just all the different dynamics. It's going to be uh, kind of fun to watch how it unfolds. All right, Drew, we're going to get to the fun stuff. People always enjoy this because we when we have former SEC players on, everybody likes a trip down memory lane and they like to talk about uh, playing careers and all that. I know you had one uh, that was certainly a lot of fun and just kind of looking back uh, at all the different aspects of it, which we know choosing Vanderbilt was easy for you. I mean, your, your dad, your grandfather were both <laughs> there. Uh, it, it was sort of in your DNA from the beginning. But I'm curious, just the first time you, you walked out on the court there, you know, you're realizing I am officially a Vanderbilt basketball player. Uh, that had to be quite an experience, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, we had had um, the fall of 94, so I'm a freshman there my first semester. And obviously, we I'd played there as a high school player and played a lot of pickup basketball there, visited there my entire life as a fan. Um, you know, we had done workouts that fall leading into the season. And back then, if you remember, Blake, October 15th was a big day. Yep. And in and around October 15th, there was this whole – um, you know, marketing event called Midnight Madness that took place. And it was a big deal at these institutions. And so Vanderbilt that particular year, we were going to have Midnight Madness on October the 14th as the clock struck midnight into October the 15th. And so um, I still remember the band striking up Dynamite. And I can vividly remember we burst out those gold doors. I don't know what color they're painted now, but they used to be bright, uh, this ugly yellow color that those doors. And we burst out into Memorial Gym with the fans going crazy. We break into our layup lines. I'm on the right side. I have a basketball. Ronnie Matmahan goes in and, you know, does some reverse dunk, and it looks great, and <laughs> the fans go crazy. And then here it is my turn, and I literally – the emotion was so overwhelming and engulfed my being. 
I literally shot the ball over the rim, and the ball didn't even strike the rim, and I shot an air ball my very first layup in an official capacity with the Vanderbilt University basketball team. So, yeah, that was my first experience. But the reason why, uh, you know, my emotions were so high. It meant so much to me from that day until the last day that I walked off uh, in Stegman Coliseum at the University of Georgia, my last game in the NIT my senior year, there was not a day that putting on that uniform, either in a practice capacity or a game environment, that it did not mean the world to me uh, that I got to represent Vanderbilt University. Yeah, it's such a, like you said, such a unique opportunity and something that, that everyone values. We know anyone that gets the opportunity to play at the SEC level and certainly at, at an institution like Vanderbilt, uh, it's something that you kind of just dream of sometimes, and it's certainly uh, just a, an outstanding opportunity. But um, something else people always enjoy, and I know there's lots of different answers you know, lots of ways you can go on this one, but um, people always like to talk about maybe the, the toughest players that, that you played against or, or kind of what the maybe toughest matchups were, the toughest guys you had to guard and all that. You played an era where, there, my goodness, there were lots of good players, just like there are now. Um, what were maybe some of the players that, that kind of stood out in terms of ones either that guarded you, you're like, oh, man, I don't want to have to go against that guy tonight, um, or ones maybe you had to guard on the other side? Yeah, and, and you got to think, too, Blake, in those years, SEC basketball, really, if you look historically, yep. um, championships or NBA players or whatever, I mean, it was really unprecedented what was happening in the 90s when Arkansas came into the league. And so I think during my time there was three uh, NCAA champions, two from Kentucky and one from Arkansas. So yep. really, really great teams, great individual talent. But, I, I mean, I, I think when you look back in that time, you you just have to go to those Kentucky rosters, yeah. including my best friend played there, Ron Mercer, clearly. But the one guy that was so hard to play against for me, and I had grown up playing against him because he was from Brownsville, Tennessee, and he always played on Memphis-based AAU teams, was Tony Delk. I, I just really thought, um, you know, Tony could score the ball. He was so gifted offensively. He had these incredibly abnormal long arms, so his wingspan was incredible. He was muscled up like he was on steroids before <laughs> muscled up was cool, and he could guard. And it was like a miserable experience every single game I ever had to play against him because it was like he knew my tendencies. He was stronger than me. He was more athletic than me. He anticipated what I wanted to do, and I literally could do nothing. But um, obviously we know he went on to the NBA and became a great player, a national champion. But to me, he was one of the toughest players positionally I had to play against. The best player that in those years that I played against in a Vanderbilt uniform was Tim Duncan. Now, I know that goes outside of the conference and it goes outside of your line of questioning, but I to be on the court when we played Wake Forest and Tim Duncan was on the other side, uh, Blake, I've never had seen greatness like that at that age. Um, just the game just happened so easily for him. He was so good. Um, uh, the way he rebounded his motor, the way he scored the ball, the way he made better uh, everybody else better, the way he passed, the way he blocked shots, the way he moved, sprinted, um, he just was unbelievable, and I had never seen anything like Tim Duncan in those years. And I know there had to be plenty of sort of moments, games that, that stuck out, and you could probably list several as among your favorites there. But, you know, I can remember back just all the different teams, like you said, growing up around Nashville, being at some of those games. Um, you just think about all the, the SEC teams that came into to Memorial Gym, and it was just 
so much competition, like you said, the, the different types of success and how stacked some of those rosters were. Um, are, are there any particular sort of games, moments for you that, that kind of stick out above the rest from your career? Yeah, I think, you know, the first one to me is is an easy answer. It was the um, – we played Alabama my freshman year, and I was really struggling to find my way to figure out my role on the team. And Alabama that night when they came in, it was our first SEC game my freshman year, and they were ranked, uh, I think, fifth in the country. Uh, they had Antonio McDice and Jason Caffey and Eric Washington. I mean, those three guys were all first-round picks. I mean, they were loaded. Their roster was loaded. I'm sure they were a double-digit favorite against us that night. And um, I got subbed in early into that game, and the, and, the, and the gym was packed, completely sold out, standing room only, memorial magic like you can remember it being. The gym was buzzing that night. And uh, I got put in early in that game and had some success. So Coach Van Bredikoff kept me in the game and kept me in as, uh, as a part of that game. We went on to win. I made a couple of plays coming down the stretch and made some free throws, and we went on to win that game, I think, in, in overtime. And uh, that was like my first like signature experience of being a part of Memorial Magic, of beating one of those teams. Um, I think the other game that stands out individually for me growing up was, was the night I had my career high. We were playing at Alabama on a really rainy night. And Alabama, once again, was really good, and we were playing in that arena. I always shot good in that arena. But I had 33 points that night, and I made two bombs that were really, really deep shots inside of the last minute and a half that secured that game for us. And so that was another game that was really a lot of fun that I really remember. Well, I know a lot of Alabama fans listen to this, and they're always joking on Twitter about how, <laughs> how much they, they hate playing against Vanderbilt and hate playing at Memorial Gym. So uh, they'll, they'll get a crack out of that one. But, uh, yeah. Drew, like I said, we could talk forever, but just to kind of bring it full circle here, and I know we'll have you on again here uh, at some point throughout the summer and certainly in the next season. But uh, like we mentioned earlier, you know, you're coaching high school now here at CPA. You guys have had a lot of success there, and I know it's been something that, that's really been a lot of fun for you just to build and build and build there. Um, you're going to continue to be around the game. We know that. Uh, just for you, what, what do you just sort of enjoy most still about being in, inside the game, coaching at that level, uh, and having the opportunity to do so? Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Blake. Those compliments are very nice. And, you know, I, the game to me is, is always ab- about relationships first and foremost, the relationship we have with our players, the relationships uh, that the players have amongst each other, creating an environment where that relationship exists and it's not condition-based. It's not based on the scoreboard, the scorebook, that every single player in our program is known, valued, and loved. And they can feel that, and they can express that towards each other. And then the second piece, to the reason why I love the gift of sport, and particularly basketball, um, that, that kind of falls into that is, is getting young men to understand what it means to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so the, the game of basketball to me and what we're trying to do here at CPA has always been about those two things. It's always about relationships. It's always about being a part of a cause and getting outside of myself and understanding what it means to love God, to love others, and to love uh, myself and, and to figure out how I can contribute within the lar- larger story that is being played out. Drew, uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I, I really enjoyed it. One I've been wanting to do for a while now, now getting a chance here in the off season, And like I mentioned, I really look forward to catching up with you again here this off season and certainly in the next season. So uh, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Uh, awesome, Blake. Continue up the, the great work. And anything that I can ever, ever do, let me know.
All right, that was the conversation with former Vanderbilt guard Drew Maddox. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, really been wanting to, to get him on for a long time because he just uh, he knows the game and he knows it so well uh, in terms of, like we said, being a former player in the SEC, following this league for so many years now. Um, there's just so many different things you can dive into. We could have talked for an hour or more, uh, but it was a lot of fun, and we're going to certainly have him back on the podcast uh, as we go, uh, not only throughout the summer. We'll catch up with him again, but certainly in the next season as well because uh, he does. He follows it all, uh, and it was really great uh, to talk to him about all of this different stuff, especially when you look at Vanderbilt uh, making a, a new hire and how that program is going to try to proceed going forward here to, to get you know back up that, that SEC ladder and uh, to where they're having that sustained success year in and year out. So thanks again to Drew for joining me. And as always, be sure you subscribe to go over to any podcast app you use. Just search for Southeast Hoops. That way you don't miss any of these episodes uh, we have coming up. And as I, I've said this week, um, we kind of really get things cranked up once the offseason hits because it allows me more time to do podcasts like these um, where I'm not just writing and writing and writing all throughout the season with games going on. Uh, so if you want SEC basketball talk all throughout the season, if you want conversations uh, not only with current coaches, current players, but former coaches, former players, uh, analysts, all sorts of people uh, throughout SEC basketball, Southeast Hoops podcast is your place. Uh, so be sure you subscribe. Head over to southeasthoops.com. You can find the written stuff and the podcast over there as well. Uh, a lot of great stuff on the way. So thanks as always for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.